finally, this year, we found this material in Kyoto. And I said, can you make me a shirt with that? And she, she, um, I bought the material and she made the shirt. This morning, I am so pleased to say, I have a longtime friend. We've been in so many different committees and boards together, and he sponsored me in a very prestigious club. It's called the Tokyo Club. He was one of my sponsors, along with Nick. Nick was the first, you were the second, so I just had to let you know that. Anyway, we're sitting out on his deck, and it's a beautiful day today. We have the ocean, we can see the ocean right over here to the left of us. We're sitting up high because this is a two-story house, but we're sitting on top of a hill. It's a hill, or I guess you'd call it a hill or a mountain, what'd you think? Well, it's one of the foothills for foothills. Mount Amagi. Right, it's one of the foothills. Anyway, I want you all to give a big hand to Paul Hoff. Paul Hoff, here he is. Hi, Lance. How are you doing there, Paul? Good, thanks for coming down to the Izuvian Republic, we call Izuvian it. Izuvian Republic, is that yes, what the flag is? That's what the flag is. Izuvian Republic. So I'll you see, Izu got merged into Shizuoka Prefecture a hundred and some years ago. Well, that's before right, before that, you're the history buff, you know. Before that, right. it was Izu no Kuni, and that goes way back to Emperor Tenmu's period, so, you know, more than a thousand years. And um, it's a very special place. And you've been living here since 2000, no, you, you, since 2012 you've been living here. We've been living here since 2012 and right. we, we built the house in um, uh, 1989, we completed construction. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is a beautiful place too. Thank you. I mean, I wish I could take all of you guys on a tour, but I won't do that. This is about Paul today. Let's yeah. start off with, where were you born? I was born in the other hospital in Duluth. <laughs> the other hospital in Duluth. Yeah, because right. everybody heard that Bob Dylan was born in Duluth. <laughs> right? Okay. But I was born in the other hospital in right. Duluth, All St. Right. Luke's. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you grow up there the whole time? Well, that was where my mother's from. Okay. So, you know, she had gone back to have me at, at home. And uh, then... Um, my father was a school teacher. My mother had been a school teacher. We ended up settling in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. And um, I grew up in St. Paul. I mean, I went to elementary and high school there. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I've got um, a brother and three sisters. Where do you rank in there? Where Come are you ranking? On. Where do you think I rank in there? You're the first? I'm the You're oldest. The You're the first. Yeah, okay. of course I am. Yeah. Are you close with your brother and sister? Yeah, sure. So yeah. You did, have they been out here to Japan to visit with you? Um, my brother worked in the Navy in Yokosuka for a while and my sister the middle sister she's the one who stayed independent and traveled a lot around the world okay. and the other two more domestic oriented wait, wait, wait. you said you had a, one sister one brother wait how many siblings three sisters three sisters and one brother and one brother and the yeah. brother's the youngest he's the youngest okay so you have three girls in between the two of you yeah are you how many is between you and your brother 12. Wow, so then you, he never saw you. Um, yeah, I was away <laughs> at college. <laughs> you know, I'm and then, I left, the, then right. I left the United States. Right. So when know, did he get so. to know you? When did he get to know you? 
Well, we got closest actually when he was um, on the Midway in Yokosuka. The same mother and father? Yes. Okay, so your mother and father stayed together all the way through? Yeah. Are they still with us now? Nope, they both passed. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because it's right. possible. You're only two years older than me, and, you know, so your parents are probably the same, would have been the same age as mine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. My mother just turned 95. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's still she's doing got well. those years. That's she's good. She's going yeah. for I brought her here when she was 91. She had a good time. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, when you were growing up, were you more academic, well, uh, academic or more sports-minded? I didn't have, let's say, the normal sort of summers uh, where kids would just play ball and ride their bikes around. My parents being um, school teachers, they had the whole summer off. So instead of that kind of uh, summer existence, which in St. Paul, Minnesota was a great existence, you know, um, we traveled. My father was the representative for the Minnesota State Teachers Association, and he would go to the conventions, which tended to be on either the East Coast or the West Coast. So we would get in our um, Ford wagon and there was pulling a 20-foot um, house trailer behind us and would travel through the mountains and across the deserts and around the waterways uh, to both coasts. So you go out one way and then come back another way. So we saw quite a lot of the United States. Um, but when I was, getting back to your original question, when I was um, in school, I was involved in so many different things. So I would, be on, I would be on one committee for like running the school paper. No, I don't think it. Let's start elementary. Elementary. Yeah, elementary oh, first. Oh, elementary. Yes. I just had the usual elementary kids, you know. But were you traveling? With kid, were you traveling at the same time over, during elementary school? During the summers. During yeah. the summers. So yeah. you couldn't be able to play with your kids, your friends, or anything. You were traveling places. I was traveling pretty much. Did you ever yeah. stop? Did your parents ever stop to see family? across the country? Is there well, that was one of the incentives, uh -huh. uh, was to go and, and see family, especially on the West Coast. Whose family was that, your mother or My father's, father's family. Okay. Because they were uh, from Norway. That was the Norwegian side of the family. And um, uh, my father's mother's relatives had been on the fjords, and they were fishermen. So when they emigrated to the United States. They went and set up in Oregon and Washington State, and they had their salmon fishing boats. So uh, the guys would go during the months when you, you fish salmon, and they'd go up to Alaska, and then, you know, come back down, and they had their, uh, their docks along the Columbia River and in Puget Sound on Bainbridge Island. Did your father come from a big family? Did he have a lot of siblings? No, just a brother. Just so a brother. so you just, he just went to go visit his brother, who probably was still there in either Washington State. No, no, no. These were um, relatives from my mother's side of the family. His mother's side of the family. Okay. Who had um, emigrated at the same time as his mother had emigrated. Mm -hmm. But they went further west. I see. And they got on the, on the salmon fishing. And so your father had one brother, and your mother had? My mother had a brother and a sister. Okay. Yeah. And were they from, she from the West Coast as well? No, my mother's from Duluth, Minnesota. Duluth, Minnesota, that's what you said. Right. right. Yeah. See, I'm trying to keep track with all of this. I'm I, moving fast for you. you. You're <laughs> really fast. You're probably real fast. <laughs> so growing up in elementary school, you had a regular elementary school, junior yeah. high school. Did, they, did your parents try to f 
you know, guide you in any direction? Because you were the first child. You were their first experiment. Right. Um, there were no junior high schools when I um, went to high school. Um, St. Paul, Minnesota still had the um, eight and four system. Gotcha. So it was a few years after I graduated that they had switched over to the, what was it? I'm not. Junior high. They had, it was, yeah, it so was, it was eight, a six, no, was six, three, and three. Six, three, and three. That's yeah. what it was, yes. So um, when I went from elementary school to high school, I was one of the last classes where they were still doing that. So we had a very small, tight little group of students be, because the other kids were now being sent off to the junior high schools to get right. them started up. And um, I had uh, been doing a lot of work um, at my church. I, I sang in the choir. I was in, involved as an acolyte and things. So I got to high school. It was just one of those things you do. You just keep on singing. So I became a member of the choir when I went to high school. Okay. and was involved in musicals and um, holiday performances and concerts, etc. Did you have Did you have the voice then too? Had you had you dropped? Had you had you? I was struck, a tenor. I was a tenor. You were a tenor. Okay, I played true. a leprechaun. A leprechaun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did your father sing as well? Was he? No, I. You know, ne neither of my parents sang. Okay. I don't know what got into me. Right. You know, it's one of those things where you don't really know where your character comes from. So it gets dropped on you, you right. know. Right. And every every family, all the kids are all different, right? right. So it just develops as an, uh, any kind of um, outside influence. And I, as I said earlier, you know, I was in that small group of, of kids in the, now, how many the first there? freshman how many class. Kids, how many kids did you have in your class? There were probably only a couple hundred at that point. Okay. Yeah. And so we got looked after by the senior uh, and juniors who saw us coming in and they knew it was the end of the freshman class. That's right. You know. Wow. Good fun. All right. So going through, so where did you start to focus most of your energy, let's say in high school then? High school, um, uh, I got involved in virtually everything. I played tennis. I did a little swimming in the wintertime on the team there. I um, worked on the newspaper, school newspaper, school yearbook. I, um, I was also quite busy at our church because the church had decided very early on to set up a youth center at the church. What type of church was this? It was a Lutheran church Lutheran, in, in St. Paul. And uh, quite unusual to set up a youth center that had a basketball court that had a, a a craft room with a dark room and I got heavily into to photography uh, when I was there and um, in the middle of all of that craft room there was a pool table so we go to church to play pool right <laughs> they hadn't had one before or they did and it was something it was set up differently? they had moved to a new church building okay. they had a, a large piece of land so they could um, you know develop Okay. Uh, so this was something new for your it church? It was very new for our church. Okay. And so they hired a youth director, and the youth director was involved in setting up all the different programs that the kids were involved in. So I'd be at church all weekend. And then I, you know, through the week I'd be busy at school, and um, I'd go back and forth. Between were your parents them. active in the church as well? Yes. They were? Yeah, sure. Oh, 
That's really neat. Yeah, my father always got on a committee to run something. So, um, did you listen <laughs> to your father speak often? Never really had an opportunity because the committees, the organizations he was involved in, weren't the ones where kids would be invited. You know. But I thought him being a teacher was he a teacher at your school? No, different school. Oh, different school. Different what about school. your mother? Um, well. Remember those three sisters. So they came along that, after I got into high school. So all through elementary, my mother was busy with my sister. Oh, so she stopped teaching. She had stopped teaching oh, by okay, that okay. point, and she was um, she liked to make clothes. So she made That's matching right. outfits for my three sisters. I don't know when that ended, but um, um, she loved doing that. How'd you get along? I mean, did and you? And then I, I was the older boy. How so many years I between you and your n the sister after you? How many three, years? three years. Oh, three years. That's pretty good. So you two are probably the closest. Why is it good? No, because I've talked to so many different families. Yeah. I've talked to so many families, and I found out that if it's after three years, they usually don't have a connection. It's too much space. The oh, I see. That's what I'm saying. But if you're three years apart. Yeah. Or you have something bringing you together, like my sons. They're six years from the oldest to the youngest. So I was able to sandwich them all together and keep them close. Right. So the oldest and the youngest are close, the oldest and the third. So let me revisit what I was Visit, telling please. you earlier. In the summer times, the whole family got in a station wagon and drove thousands of miles right. in the car. Okay. So there was no chance to get away from them. I understand, <laughs> I understand that. But I'm saying, but that's. I mean, you can only play games like guess the license plate tags and all this stuff. And read the Burma Shade signs. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took it upon myself to be the navigator. So every time we'd stop so you at had a the gas map. station, you know, in those days, you know, you didn't have the internet. You had maps. You had maps. Sure and so I would always go pick the maps that I needed to make sure I could, um, you know, keep track of our route. So that was my job in the back seat. Okay. <laughs> That's neat. But you did stay close to your sisters. I mean, you never felt any kind of rivalry or anything else. She's three years younger than you, so she never had the strength you had. And there's lots of, but she could have had the academic prowess that you had, because girls are pretty quick. Well, Lance, you know, I, I had my own room. My sisters had their room that they lived in. Um, after I got access to a car in high school, then I was out with my high school friends and my church friends. Mm -hmm. And my sisters were st still younger and at a different stage of development. So um, it, it wasn't necessarily something where we d had to hang out together. I never, never got to that stage. By the time they were t that age, you were gone. And I was gone because as soon as I graduated from college, I went in the Peace Corps in Korea. Vietnam has been going on since <laughs> the 50s when the French wouldn't of give course, it to the course. Vietnamese people, right? Course. But I'm talking about when we got involved. We got involved. I didn't get involved. I said, no way I'm going to get involved in that. So I was anti-war. So you enlisted into the Peace Oh, you, got in, you went into the Peace Corps. I was in the Peace Corps in but Korea. Would, but doesn't that only last for two, is that a two-year It's a two-year volunteer thought, right. uh, thing. It is not a substitute for military service. Exactly. Um, I applied for conscientious objector status, 
And they gave it to you? They didn't. Okay. They rejected it. Uh, they didn't want to have conscientious objectors on their tally. Okay. So they just sent me a 1H, which is the number, your draft number is too high. Now they lied to me because my draft number was less than 100. Mine was six. Well. But I enlisted. You enlisted. I didn't want to go to I wasn't going mm. to enlist. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, for me, that was a great experience making a statement that the United States was wrong in what they were doing there and that I wouldn't participate in that. Did you get any flack from friends or? Um, the, you know, um, the United States was divided on Vietnam. So there were always somebody there who thought we should just go and, you know, know. get militarily involved and um, try and stop the North Koreans. Um, but um, those people didn't bother me at all. Okay. I so had a voice, then I used it. From college, you went into the, it was, it was after college you went into the Peace Corps. That's right, yeah. Yeah. What were you studying in college? What was your focus? I studied philosophy and history, and I almost had enough courses for an English major as well. So I was quite busy with a lot of different studies, but like in high school, I was on the newspaper, <laughs> I was on the student government, I was on the yearbook, so I was doing a variety of things How'd you know to get well. in, How'd you know to get involved in that? Was that because your parents had prompted you ahead of time, telling you you might want to get involved in this and that, if you remember? Well, you know, the, the friends that I had were all involved in running those types of things. And so they would naturally ask me to help out. Okay. Are you still in touch with any of them? Oh, yeah, sure. Are you on? So yeah, you go back course. to the reunion? How do you feel when you go back to a reunion? When was the last time you went back? Well, I'd never been back to any reunions. Um, so my first um, actual reunion was last year for my college 50th anniversary. And my sophomore year roommate was on the committee that was organizing it. And they were looking around for a keynote speaker. And he just railroaded me into that position. He calls me up, he says, Hoff, you've got to go, you got to come here and do the keynote speech. And I go, really, John Eric, do I have to do that? And he says, yes, you must. And there didn't seem to be any second thoughts on their part. So I went back in June last year and um, gave a keynote speech. What was it like for you? Um, you know, a lot of people I'd never seen for 50 years. <laughs> if you've been to uh, reunions where there's been that time gap, um, you find that some of your friends might be there. Um, but in the conversations you have, then you meet other people and you learn about their experiences. And that was nice. It was, it was good to talk to people that I had known and then to people I hadn't known, but they had done interesting things. Okay. For instance, one of my classmates, um, a woman who uh, I didn't know in college, but she ended up working for Sanrio, which is a major Japanese company that owns the Hello Kitty brand. And she was involved in the project to bring Hello Kitty to the United States. So that was kind of fun to listen to her side of the story on that one. After you finished the Peace Corps, after college, and you finished the, your two years in the Peace Corps, what did you do from there? 
I, um, well, I was asked to do a, a training program. Now, you're still single during this time. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I when I got out of the Peace Corps, they needed help to train new volunteers. So I worked for another three or four months for the um, Peace Corps office to help train people. And when I um, finished that and got paid, I packed everything up and I took a train from Seoul to Busan. You weren't living still in St. Louis. Where were you living? Seoul. No. Oh, Seoul, so you Korea. Mean so, I know. So you went there for two years. And when you got out, you didn't come back to the States. You stayed there. I was staying there and I worked. Oh, okay. And then I um, uh, went from Seoul, where I'd been living and working, to Busan. And I caught the boat to Shimonoseki. Why? Because it was cheaper than flying. Okay, why do you want to go to Shimonoseki? Because I was then continuing on to Kyoto. Okay. To go and see friends that I um, had who were at Kansai Gaidai in Hirakata. Had you had a chance to be go to Japan while you were in Korea during the Peace Corps? Yeah, a couple of times. Oh, you did? Yeah. And that was your first experience? Yeah. Going to Japan, okay. How many yeah. times did you go during your two-year Um, Twice, I think. Okay. Twice. And you liked it? Yes. Compared yeah. to Korea, how'd you feel? Well, Korea at that point still had not undergone the kinds of changes that uh, Japan experienced in the um, 60s and 70s. Right. What year was it that you were in Korea? I was there 73 to 75. 73 to 75, I came here 74, okay, to 76. Yeah, 76. and then I, um, when I came here in 75, that was when the um, export industries were growing quite rapidly, and they needed English teachers. So I joined a company in Osaka. I was introduced through some people that I met at Kansai Gaidai. And I worked in Osaka for three years. Okay. And so then the got transferred to Tokyo. They obviously took care of your visa and everything. Yes, the company that's that right. Yeah. So you stayed there for three years, and then you transferred from that same company to the company, at, to the same branch? I was transferred from Osaka to Tokyo to take over the uh, management of all the personnel who were um, in the teaching programs. Okay, so how long did that last? I stayed in that position for four years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And marriage, nothing had happened yet during that time? Nothing had happened? No, I mean, well, I wasn't married. Um, I know. I mean, a lot of stuff <laughs> happened, but I mean, I'm trying to try take you on the course to where we are. So during that time, you hadn't met your wife? Oh, I had. Okay. Um, because we have mutual friends in Osaka, so when You uh, met her when met. you came to Tokyo? You met her in We Osaka. met in Osaka, in Osaka originally, Osaka? yeah. All right. That's right. And then from then, she came with you to Tokyo? Um, we were not together. Okay. But we actually moved to Tokyo on exactly the same day in August of 1978. Unknowingly? Yeah. You didn't know? That's something didn't, you I didn't later. know she was going to move in down the block from me and... Then my friend, Dick, Dick goes, hey, I'm going to come over and see you today. Good, okay. He says, but I'm going to go see Naomi first. What do you mean? Well, she's moved to Tokyo too, and that's that's when I realized that she had moved to Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. And you said, well, since she's moved here, we might as well get married. That took a few <laughs> more years, actually. 
Okay, so you have that position. You stayed there for about four years. Then from there, where'd you go? Um, you never went home during this. I thought about going home to stay there, and you like Minnesota. Man, I don't want those winters. I've never lived there. I've never lived there so I don't want those winters. Nobody wants them. I decided, Somebody obviously wants them. I decided I didn't want those winters. Your and parents weren't asking? The your first son? Come on. Come home. The um, sequence of events that I've described has been me moving from one more interesting job to a more interesting job to a more interesting job uh, to be promoted to, you know, a greater responsibility in each of those positions. And when I got to um, Tokyo with, it was Time Life Books, uh, a subsidiary for teaching English in Japan to corporations, I was involved in a lot of the new projects that were being started up. It's the first time that English language programs were being put on laser discs, so we were working with Pioneer and I had hired an editor um, out of um, a TV station in Seattle because I was doing the personnel recruitment as well. So I brought him o over and he helped with, with that. Um, I hired a lot of um, people out of uh, graduate programs in the United States who wanted to come to Japan. It was a thing to do. And these people were very experienced and we did a lot of um, special programs for Japanese corporations. Uh, we called it ESP, English for Special Purposes. Right. So it was, a, it was a very exciting time. But um, when I made the switch out of that uh, corporate English teaching program over to a securities company, it was at that point when uh, the Japanese Ministry of Finance um, agreed to open up the securities markets to foreign participants. Up to that time, the banks have been able to do banking business, lending, and usual financial transactions. It was a year. And so this was in 1982 that I okay. joined a financial institution. And I just happened to know somebody in a British company, and um, they wanted me to help them with setting up the office and setting up the research department. And they liked the fact that I had management experience in Japan. Um, you know, running operations not only in Tokyo but you know in other cities as well. So when I joined them, I had to go to London for six months, and I did um, uh, training there, on-the-job training, and some courses to prepare me to uh, become a, a full-time member of the London Stock Exchange. Had you ever been to London before? They sent um, you? I had traveled there, but I had never worked there, obviously. Okay. So what was the feeling after you'd been in Japan for such a long You'd almost been here eight years at that time, right? About eight years? Um, 82, so I went to Korea in 73. So, so I've been outside so the United States for about, about nine seven, years. About nine years you'd been here before you went to London, right? To For the training courses. For the training. Yeah. What was it like for you? I mean, the cultural shock. Because <laughs> you, you'd gotten adapted to this environment. That's right. Um, <laughs> well, the UK for me actually was quite familiar because in Japan I had hired a lot of Brits and Australians and New Zealanders to teach English in Japan. And they, I had them on my staff and uh, so I was very familiar with them. And I learned a lot of British slang and I learned a lot about Britain just by, you know, uh, 
uh, being with them socially as well as professionally. Did you ever try to use the accent? Didn't need to use the accent. The most important thing was to be able to understand what was being said. Now, when I got off of the airplane, this is June of 1982, and I go up and I get in a taxi. The black cab. A black cab. Right. And the cab driver, as I'm getting into the cab, says, mind your nut, Gov. <laughs> now, do you know what that means? You're hit, right? Right. I know hit. that. But you're, <laughs> you're yeah. there as an American. You say, mind going, your nut. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I got in the cab and I sat there and I said, I just understood what he said. You under oh, that's all. Oh. I understood what he said. Mind like your nut, Gov. Right. Right? Sir, please watch your head. Okay. So after that, it wasn't so bad. It was, you know, learning more colloquial phrases, right. et cetera. Right. And I was... Well, you're um, lucky you were in London, because if you were up north in some of the other areas, <laughs> you wouldn't have understood what they were saying. Right. Well, I mean, I was there <laughs> for a very specific purpose, to right. train in the city of London. And, um, you know, the people around me were all professionals in various uh, securities businesses and uh, practices. So... I um, I was dealing with somebody other than cab drivers. <laughs> it was an exciting time for me. Mm. Um, uh, then I did my six months. Uh, but you weren't married. Yeah, you're still not married. No, okay, I'm not I wanna, married. I want to get up to that time. <laughs> Do you want me to just jump no, to no, the marriage? No, no, no. Let's go. <laughs> we have time. Let's go on. So we... Um, Let's see, I got back to Tokyo the end of 83, and um, uh, this was a time of, you know, very rapid expansion for these foreign companies. So um, they couldn't set up inside a bank that was their parent company. They had to have independent offices. So you had to go around and find office space and set it up and start running the operations. And I had had some experience in those kinds of uh, activities, so um, it was it was a great time. I used all my skill sets, and um, uh, I switched companies after three years. I saw a better opportunity at another company, and um, financial firm as well. Yeah, just a, it was a competitor, but okay. um, uh, they had been acquired by a bank that was going to give them much more independence in in terms of developing their business, which meant that I would have more. Uh, independence as well but it was everything was going uh, very rapidly the uh, banks were all making acquisitions so that they could have all the different securities uh, bits and pieces for their global operations as well as for Tokyo um, the Japanese stock market was um, uh, expanding greatly there were more and more companies listing with the market going up, of course, the market capitalizations were increasing. So um, that was 83. By 1989, if you uh, recall, the market capitalization of the Tokyo Stock Exchange was greater than that of the United States. Now, everybody thought that was a little too much. And lo and behold, it was, and then the market crashed. So... Um, I was there through that whole build-up, the crash, and I stayed working um, in that organization until 2002. And I was doing various different jobs, so I got involved in the um, corporate finance department and um, 
global M&A activities as well. Did you find it enjoyable? Did you enjoy what you enjoyed? Oh, very much so. Yes. Yeah. So. yeah. Part of that aspect of the business is that you need to travel, and then you're having many visitors coming to Japan, hoping to get Japanese financial institutions to invest into their, into their markets and into their IPOs. Mm -hmm. So it was um, dealing with a wide range of people, actually. So when, when was it that you stopped working with the financial organizations? Um, last month. <laughs> I've been steadily employed in the finance industry from, from the 1982 two onwards. On, on yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. So you never really, you retired, but you still are called to do certain jobs every now and then, like, like um, on contract in a way. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't, I have been working full time since 2015, but I had a part-time position as doing odd jobs for various investment banks so I've been involved in a number of things okay do you want to talk about your marriage well you, you know oh you don't have to I mean, just you keep popping the question I'm just wondering Lance, I mean, that's you just keep popping but the we question. don't have to we don't have to we can go <laughs> on from there what, what do you what so okay all right I'll get around to the marriage now. <laughs> so when I came back from London set up a new apartment go and meet all my old friends and met a lot of new friends, obviously. And that's when my wife and I um, met up again. And so after, you know, what was it then, another couple of years, then we, we got married. Okay. And you have two sons? We have two sons. Okay. Yep. Anton is the oldest and yeah. Thor is the youngest. Are they both in Japan now? Anton's in Japan. He's working in Tokyo. Okay. And... Um, uh, Thor is in New York, and he's uh, been there ever since he graduated from college. Mm. He graduated from Fordham University there. Aren't they the same age as my sons? How old is your oldest? Um, he's 33. Okay, so he's younger than my oldest. My oldest is 36. Yeah. And so yeah. he's L Lonnie's age, well, Lonnie's age, because yeah. Lewis is a little bit older too. Anton... Um, Got out of Nishimachi when it was a very difficult time to um, get into high schools. So he didn't get into ASIJ, and he went to YIS. So my boys, two of my boys went there. And I think YIS is a very good program. The International Baccalaureate gives you just as many college credits as a um, American school right. AP course. Right. And it's um, it's a little different. It, I, I I like the way they organize it actually. I like the um, the way the kids responded to adults. Mm -hmm. They were they wasn't so clickish at YS as it was at ASIJ. Yeah, ASIJ a smaller school. And yes, um, but they didn't promote that anyway. I mean, everyone the, you'd see the the older kids working with the younger kids more readily and easier because it was a little bit smaller school, and they really did work together well. At yeah. least my son's yeah. grades. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. Thor nice. Um, did go to uh, ASIJ. He left uh, YIS, I mean he left NIS, Nishimachi International School, um, the year before the program ended there because he wanted to get four years at mm -hmm. um, uh, ASIJ. And he did the full AP program and then he got accepted to universities in the United States and decided on um, on Fordham. Okay. Neither one of them are married yet. No. Okay. No. Two of mine have gotten married. 
Congratulations. Yeah, the two middle ones are married. I'll be a grandfather in February. Congratulations. <laughs> First girl. <laughs> Congratulations. Be interesting. Thank you very much, <laughs> sir. Thank you very much. So what do we find you doing nowadays? You said you're still doing some jobs for your financial firm. You do that every now and then. Outside of that, what will we find you doing? When I moved to um, Ito City, um, I this started... Is this is considered Ito City? This is Ito City. How far does Ito go? That includes Izu as well. This is the peninsula. Ito is along the east coast. Right. So Atami is the city on the north end of the peninsula. Then it, it turns into Ito around Usami village and comes all the way down here to um, Akazawa. Akazawa then borders on uh, Higashi Izu city. So it, it's got quite a long coastline. Um, and it's a very historic area for a number of different uh, reasons. We moved here because this had been a um, area where a lot of development took place uh, in the 60s when the Tokyo Corporation uh, completed the train line from Ito to Shimoda. It just opened up this whole stretch to further development. As you know, I mean, any rail line is it's a real estate play, okay? That's right. That's right. So this development that we're in is one of the uh, major developments that was uh, done in the, in the 60s. Mm. And there's a lot of interesting people who had second homes here and some people who retired here like we have done. And through a number of those connections, and eventually I got uh, introduced to a fellow who was quite active in the Ito City um, efforts to uh, promote themselves internationally. Ito City actually has a sister relationship with a city in Italy just outside of Rome. Quite an interesting place. Are you involved with the governance here too in Ito City? No, these are privately owned companies, okay. so we're just paying our, our um, fees for the uh, maintenance and for we pay water. So as I met more of these people, um, and I met this one guy in particular, uh, he told me that they had this organization that was doing this felt that there was a need for more English language programs in Ito. People wanted to hear English, you know. So they decided that they would have a speech program, so they'd have somebody give a speech every once in a while. And he asked me to do the first speech. As always, I rose to the occasion and did a wonderful job. <laughs> now, when, was, when was this? When was this? That was, um, well, it was supposed to happen at the beginning of COVID, but it got postponed for a couple of years. Okay. So I had plenty of time to practice. When I gave the speech, we did it in April last year at the Ito City um, Hall there. How many people were And present? we had 70 people show up. Okay. Yeah. So foreigners, but also Japanese um, who wanted to hear more English. And then in that group, there was a man from the promotion office for Shimoda. And he asked me to speak in Shimoda. So in January of this year, I gave the same talk in uh, Shimoda. Uh, but they wanted it in Japanese, so I had to do it in Japanese. And um, since then, I've given the same talk um, on the history of Izu uh, online in a group called Informasia, a very interesting group. Um, 
that does a lot of scholarly presentations. It's a once a month online thing. Mm -hmm. And then also I did the same presentation at the Tokyo American Club uh, for the... I uh, remember, because we had you, you were um, featured in the In Touch magazine. I was in the magazine. In the magazine, yeah. right. Yeah. And that, was, that went really well. I heard you yeah. had a good turnout for that. Um, yeah, they had originally had about 30-some people mm -hmm. registered, and mm -hmm. I was in the club that day, so I ended up with <laughs> a lot more people <laughs> like saying, people. oh, you're talking, okay, they we'll go. Right. Right. So I think we had about 45. That's good. Yeah. That's they, a good turnout for our... It was a good turnout, yeah. And it was fun, you know, yeah. so many friendly faces, That's willing nice. to listen to me talk straight for That's an hour. Fun. Well, I always <laughs> enjoyed the way you host the wine presentations at the um, Tokyo Club. At the Tokyo Club. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that work that I've been doing on this speech that's now turned into something I'm doing in many other venues um, has got me to the point where I realized that because there is a dearth of knowledge about Izu um, and it's such an important place now being close to Tokyo and we've realized the benefits during COVID in particular. Now that there's Airbnb Anybody in the world can figure out how to come to Izu. What happened during COVID? Well, people came down here and just isolated from Tokyo. Oh, okay. So, so a lot of people, did, you mean that had places here or that just knew someone? That had places, they used Airbnb to find them, or they just came down and found a house and, and just bought it okay. or rented it. So there was a large in influx of people during COVID who wanted to get out of um, Tokyo. Mm -hmm. yeah. And foreigners uh, who wanted to um, spend more time in uh, Japan found Izu a very nice place to come. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. So that that was um, a very, a very good um, outcome from COVID, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really opened up Izu in a way that it, it hadn't had before. So that's where you, so now you spend your time. You said you still golf. You golf often. I, I golf, but I golf poorly. Okay. So I choose my golf partners carefully. <laughs> you know, it's really bad when I'm giving them instruction, right? <laughs> but my wife has um, had a wonderful time down here playing golf. She's a member of a couple clubs. And Do you have some, some golf courses around here? Oh, there's plenty of them. Yes. Really? They really must be hilly, too. They are they pretty much. Be. They yeah. have to be. Yeah. There's a lot of lost balls here. There are, especially Jeez. because it's a resort area, too. So you don't mm. necessarily get a lot of um, high-level golfers. There's a lot of entertainment golf, a lot of resort golf going mm. on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you find some good balls off in the bushes. <laughs> you go, wow, look at this. That's right. Initial, too. <laughs> But uh, Naomi has been um, doing quite a lot of golf, and she's gotten to a much better level than when we moved here. And um, by meeting people uh, through the golf courses, they've uh, some people have asked her now to start to caddy. So she's caddying at one of the local courses. That's a good and way to learn the course. For her, that was a it's big step because then she suddenly has to look at course management, not from her own perspective, but from the point of view of the golfers that she's uh, there to help. And so it's been a, a very rewarding experience for her. That's really interesting. Yeah. So tell me, how is she taking not having to have a full-time job? 
Yeah, that was probably a big shock. I was going to um, wonder how long did it take for her to, to read? You know, she had taught yes. for 20 years at, at Sacred, Sacred Heart, Heart International right. School. So that was um, a bit of a um, shock. Um, but she still has maintained uh, her work at the uh, American School where she does the costumes for the musicals. And um, she just finished uh, see, uh, a, a play, um, the Baker Street Irregulars, just a, a stage play, but um, uh, she did all the costumes for that as well. She'll actually make all the costumes? It's a combination. Mm -hmm. They go and they look at all the old costumes that they have, see if those can be repurposed. Uh, the director obviously has an idea of the look that he wants or she wants. Um, then there's the, um, you know, internet. You can go on and, and buy all kinds of images, especially with cosplay and things these days. And then, if necessary, she'll make something. Um, I think some of my old clothes have become costumes uh, at ASIJ. Well, you know, she's turned into a, just an amazing seamstress with all of that work that she's been doing, uh, teaching sewing, at Sacred Heart and uh, working on the costumes at um, uh, ASIJ. Mm -hmm. um, it's been kind of hard to get her to make things for me, she, but finally this year we found this material in Kyoto and I said, can you make me a shirt with that? And she, she, she um, I bought the material and she made the shirt. Are these coins? I made the buttons. Okay. I took one yen coins and I pounded two holes in them. Oh, beautiful. Um, so they're nice big <laughs> buttons for my big hands, you know. That is Isn't that a beautiful. nice shirt? This is really nice. It's a special it's material. It's a really nice material, too. Um, it's called Chijimi. It's, uh, it's got a special weave so that it keeps it fluffy off of your skin. Oh. So it's nice on a hot day like this in November. Oh, that is nice. You have no intentions of ever leaving Japan? Not really. Um, I'm very comfortable here. This place was set up as a retirement home. Um, you know, you probably had the same problem I did. You come here, and you go into a Japanese living situation, and you're hitting your head here <laughs> all the time. You become a unicorn, yeah. Right? Right. So when we built the house, I brought in the materials from the United States. So the doors are U.S. size. That's right. And the ceiling height and the... It's really nice. Yeah, we got a nice prow here, we so um, you get That's the high cool. roofs. Those are very important, mm -hmm. and of course, lots of windows. The guy who um, founded Airbnb um, went around the world visiting Airbnbs, small ones, to learn what was successful, so that he could set up a a company to build small houses. Okay, and I just saw this video the other day, and he described the situation. Okay, you got a rather small space, but if you've got windows on all sides, it makes it so much more livable. And that's what he found by going around the world and, and seeing places that people liked. And very fortunately, when we built our house, we have windows all around, and that it makes it uh, glorious. And while we're not showing people now the, the view, basically it's the view of all of the Izo Islands. Oh. We're looking south and east from our house towards mm -hmm. uh, the Sagami Bay this with um, Oshima 
and I can name them all, but. There's a bit of a yeah, haze. I'll, I'll make sure that this is put in, that we have this as you talk about it. Yeah, it's a it's a What is that? Lovely what's view. that hill over this? One of the That's islands? Oshima. Oshima Island? Okay. Yeah. That's an active volcano. Okay. So it goes off every but once in a while. But people are living there, right? Yeah, it's got That's a right. sizable population. Right. Um, how, how, how long of a trip would it be from here to there by boat? From Ito City's harbor, mm -hmm. you can take a hydrofoil for 45 minutes and oh. there. Have you been a couple of times? Yeah, yeah. Is it nice? What's it like? I think I've been over there. Have I, have I not? Well, it's a, it's a volcano sticking out of the ocean. So right, there's right. slopes <laughs> everywhere. Um, one of our um, friends from the American Club, Darren Yamashiro, okay. is over there running a hotel. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you go, there's you know a friendly face. That's nice, that's nice. Yeah. Paul, before I end the podcast, there's a question I always like to ask. What, we're done already? We're done, we're done. Whoa. But we can come back for some more. <laughs> With all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time and meet the younger Paul, what advice would you give him, and how old would he be? I'm not sure I have a particular message that would be specific to a certain time. Um, I think in general, it gets down to the basics that we need for living our lives. So I'm very much a stoic. Um, I saw a wonderful quote by Cicero the other day, a very famous Stoic, and he said, all a man needs is a garden and a library. Uh, now, my wife would argue that she needs a good golf course as well, but that Stoic approach, there's many elements, I think, from Buddhism that are very good as well to keep in mind, and certainly the fact that everybody suffers. So, you know, let's just deal with it. Let's try and be helpful f with each other and realize that it's all about giving and it's all about um, uh, trying to be compassionate. Um, so that's something that at any stage in a person's life, you need to kind of revisit those basic uh, principles. You better say it. Thank you so much, Paul. All right. Thank you, Lance. I'm glad you came down. I'm glad I came too. It's been it's been forever. How long did well, it's been a couple of years? When did you start your podcast? Three years ago. So it's at least well, from the beginning. Well, it's been all three, three years. years then. Yes, it sure has been. But even before then, I suggested that you come down on your bike. You did. You told because me because it's a beautiful drive. You sure did. In and the Soviet Republic. It would be. I'm telling you. <laughs> I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast or listening to it. And remember, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars. Because you're too blessed to be stressed.